sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. In a year where capitalism has been under attack, Warren Buffett was asked, as a fiduciary of Berkshire Hathaway and all the shareholders, what about his political leanings? And he said, quote, I am a card-carrying capitalist. President Trump's policies to rebuild the economy have put us into a powerful prosperity boom. And there is no end in sight. Let's not make this any harder than it needs to be. Low tax rates, regulatory rollback, energy openings, trade reforms, growth, 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 growth. 5.8 million new jobs since Election Day, 263,000 jobs in the month of April alone, and the lowest unemployment rate since 1969. The American economy is roaring. And now, Stacey Washington. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Welcome to the show, everybody. Happy Monday. Uh, I just started off with some amazing encouragement because if you're not feeling encouraged about your circumstances, if you're not feeling encouraged about where you are in whatever the situation might be, work, home, school, finances, health, dealing with something in all those areas, still God is great and greatly to be praised. And when we focus on that, when we move our focus from what's going on right here in the now that we can see the material circumstances and we put our eyes on him, that energy starts flowing down. And that's God breathed energy that comes from him where he says, I'm bigger than your circumstances. I'm God. You are my child. You are my, you are my royal priesthood. You are mine. And therefore as his, we can expect that all things are going to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's us. And that we can have joy in the midst of all of these circumstances. So one more, because I read through uh, Jeremiah 10, 6, 1 Chronicles 16, 25, Psalm 96, 4, 1 Chronicles 29, 11. And uh, I'll close out with Nehemiah 1, 5. And I said, beseech you, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, and great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness to those who love him, and keep his commandments. So in the midst of any, anything, in the midst of everything, let us keep his commandments and know that he is God and he is caring for us in every way. Welcome to the show. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So glad to be with you. Today we are going to be diving in. We have Dr. Carol Swain. Uh, we had a little mix up timing wise, you know, that whole you're on one time zone, we're on another time zone. Oh wait, I think we're all in the same time zone thing happens to the best of us. And Carolyn Swain, Carol Swain is one of the best of us. She is a doctor. She holds a doctorate. Um, she's an author, political analyst, and former political science professor at Vanderbilt University. She's written many books, some of them, some of the most consequential works predicting uh, attitudes and behaviors of Americans that have actually come to pass. So she's got that 
it's it's a kinetic energy that happens when you're well-educated and you're an expert in your field and then you begin to write. Uh, so it's pretty amazing. She's going to be coming on to talk about her candidacy for the mayor of Nashville. Huge popular town right now. Nashville is a boom town in a state that has no, I believe it's no income tax. So people are moving there in record numbers. They're having a population explosion there of Americans seeking out that low tax base and that opportunity zone that is Nashville. Friendly people, pretty good weather. Like it's it's further south than uh, here where we are here in St. Louis. So yeah, I mean, not that our weather's bad today. It's overcast, but it's not cold and it's not hot. I'll take what I can get in hail town. You know, we, we have hail here frequently. I mean, anything you can think of, we get it here in, in Missouri, and we never know what's coming. The weather people, I don't even know why we have any. Um, so we're going to be chatting with her next segment. We're also going to be getting into, uh, I want to connect a narrative together for you. So today we will unpack in just a couple of audio clips how the Democrats, in taking their survey of the land, they're looking around, they're seeing what, what, do, what do we have to work with? Well, what they have to work with is they wanted Mueller to say, indict him. They wanted him to say, strike him down. Something dramatic and fierce, something that could be a quotable for a movie or is a quotable for a movie. That's what they wanted. They wanted Mueller, they wanted that report that he handed down to be so smoking hot that when they got it in their hands, it kind of singed them. And then they giggled with glee at the, at the slight burning that were, they were getting on their fingers. And then as they turned each smoky, crispy page, they would see within those pages indictment after indictment of the horrors and the ill activities and the connections and the puppetry of the Russians with their hand up Donald Trump's back, just making him say and do everything. And the only reason he's president, the only way he was able to beat the anointed one, Hillary Clinton, is because Donald Trump had Putin on his side. Now, admittedly, the memes about Putin where he's riding a bear or he's riding a horse and he's killing a bear, all that stuff. I mean, that stuff is pretty epic. You can find it all over Twitter and and online. But in reality, Putin resides, he, he presides over a country that is decimated. It's literally a shadow of what it once was due to the flirtation and then marriage with socialism and communism. And it's taken them a long time to bounce back because they only recently discovered just a few short years ago that if you provide abortions on demand paid for by the state, that women will abort all of their babies and your families will dwindle down. And your country will cease to have population growth. So now they're begging Russian women to marry and have kids. They're begging Russians to uh, go back to the traditional family model. So much so that, that Putin really is openly um, very religious, you know, and, and he's a former KGB agent. So, you know, anybody can be reformed, but, you know, come on, whoa. So when we talk about Putin in the way that I talk about him. He's a formidable adversary. He's someone who's been around a long time. He knows where all the dead bodies are buried and he puts some of them there himself. And he's, he's, he's not to be toyed around with. And his country does have military might because they starve their citizens in order to get it. But as it comes down to GDP production and the ability to marshal support from around the world um, and, and reputational value and actual influence around the world, America the influence of America dwarfs that of Russia, but there's still a world player. But to say that Putin was able to convert an avowed capitalist like Donald Trump and 
basically completely turn him in orientation from um, someone who loves to make money, create and start up things into someone who would just do what they were told. I mean, just ask John Kelly how that went. He was the chief of staff. He went up against that buzzsaw that is Donald Trump a few times, tried to tell him he was going to do this and that. He got his way once or twice, but for the most part, he found that that was not his. John Kelly's not used to being disagreed with. Remember, he was in, in the military. He's used to giving orders and having them followed to the letter. And then, yes, sir, what else would you like me to do? That's what he's used to. And he went up against Donald Trump. So the idea that Putin could turn Donald Trump is so ludicrous. But again, we go back to, you know, that, that crispy, it's the, it's the, the fan, fantasy Miller report. The fantasy Miller report is so detailed in its rundown of all of the illegal dealings of Donald Trump that when you flip through it, when you flip, you can't flip through it because the pages are crispy because they're so hot. They're so hot with juicy details and the dirt and, and the, 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 the swampy nature of it. it, it it's a heavy, thick report. And when you read it, you can't even eat popcorn because you have to hold it with two hands because you just you can't let it go. It's, it's you put it under your pillow at night. The Democrats would be sleeping with it. If it had anything to do with helping them take down Donald Trump, they would probably turn it into their new Bible and they would incorporate it into the Democratic Party platform. And they would, you know, it rubs the lotion on its skin. They would rub the, the, the they'd cover it in leather and and stroke the outer pages. They would just be unable to talk about anything else. But their disappointment, it's not just woe, it's not just, uh, you know, a sense of malaise, it's not just, you know, you get up in the morning and you've gotten bad news and you just can't, you can barely drag yourself out of the bed and your food doesn't taste good and that's where they are. But it's worse than that because on top of not getting what they wanted out of the, the, it was just, it was plumped up to be so juicy and so sweet and so delicious, so fluffy and they didn't get that. And then on top of not getting that, the economy is booming and a lot of things they said couldn't be done. Remember the magic wand comment? There's just so much. Not only are those things happening, but in spite of all that they've done to Donald Trump, in spite of, uh, did you see the headlines they used to put out about uh, Don Jr.? He's going to be indicted. Any day now, Ivanka Trump will be indicted. Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump will be let off in handcuffs. All of their fantasies printed out for them by their complicit media allies, and none of it has come to pass. Instead, America is seeing a resurgence in certain areas where tariffs are actually working a little bit. Hey, you know, I don't make the news. I just, I'm just telling you. And these people don't know what to do. So if we thought they were unhinged before, now we're going to really see a little something-something because they've gotten together with their allies in the media and they are bent on still getting their way, even without the evidence that they thought their juicy, much ballyhooed, heavily anticipated Mueller report would give them. They're so mad about that. They want to impeach somebody like Barr, who really, honestly, he's so late on the scene. How could he be impeached? They would want to impeach someone who was actually overseeing the production of the Mueller report and the investigation from on high. And that would not be A.G. Barr. He's just gotten here. So, Here's the narrative I told you about. You've got Nora O'Donnell, and she actually says on the air, I'm, I'm going to tell you what it is. Just listen to this woman setting the stage for what the Democrats are going to do in spite of having no evidence. It's number four. 
What's remarkable about listening to your speech yesterday and reading your op-ed is that you're not just expressing your opinion, you seem to be trying to ignite a movement. You write, it is time to take a stand against Trump. If he is dangerous to democracy, as you say, should he be removed from office? Should he be removed from office? Now, remember, Nora O'Donnell touts herself as a news person. She believes she's a part of the profession of journalism. She does not admit, as I do, that I'm an opinion person and that I put out product that is my opinion. Um, When I write op-eds, they are my opinion based on research and information and data and what I opine on a subject. She considers herself to be a member of the fourth estate, someone who she's a journalist and her information is above reproach because she has an editor who sits over a desk who makes sure that everything that comes across it has been vetted and sourced and properly according to the standards of journalism made proper before it goes out of that newsroom. She just said, should Trump be removed from office? She didn't say for what? So anybody with even a half of a brain cell would have responded, for what, Nora? What would he be removed from office for just because you don't like him? That's not a valid reason for removing him from office. If that's the case, then Obama wouldn't have survived a day. So then you've got one of the presidential candidates. Her name is Klobuchar. And she admitted this uncomfortable truth for the Democrats. And this draws it all together. And we're going to continue this thread throughout the show. But these two bits are important for, for us to get to our next spot. It's number two. It's the most surprising thing out there on the presidential trail that I've heard is how many people bring this up to me. Um, you know, you're getting all those questions about maybe the Mueller report every so often, right? <laughs> or Russia. But no, I have gotten more questions about addiction and mental illness than I have about the Mueller report. True story. Amy Klobuchar is running for president of the United States. And she's kind of getting known for making these uncomfortable statements. They're, they're truthful statements, but they're uncomfortable for her because they put her at odds with her political party. And what she just said is occasionally someone will bring up Russia or the Mueller investigation. But what most people are asking her on the campaign trail as she knocks doors, meets people at, you know, fish fries and, and bake offs and whatnot. They're asking her about the opioid epidemic. They're asking her about things that have to do with their everyday lives or the everyday lives of their extended family members. That is not what the Democrats want to hear right now, which is why they have their surrogates like Nora O'Donnell changing the narrative by she's literally creating it with her own mouth. Should Trump be removed from office? No, Nora, he should not be removed from office. What's your next gambit? When we get back, we'll have Dr. Carol Swain. Keep it here. Our Holy Land tour for March of 2020 is set. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Last year, we sold out in August, and I expect us to do that again this year. There is such a high demand, especially among Christians in America, to see Israel, the land of the Bible. So we're going again in March on our annual trek. So I wanted to go ahead and let you know if you want to sign up and register, get more information, whatever the case may be, if you want to go to our website, twholyland.com, twholyland.com, everything is there, twholyland.com. You can even print off a brochure from that website. It's going to be a wonderful time visiting Israel with brothers and sisters from across our country 
as we go to the Holy Land in March. So go ahead and get signed up now, twholyland.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Not too long ago, I was in a meeting with Dr. Henry Blackaby, one of the great spiritual leaders of our time. My heart was deeply moved as he shared how his children are all walking with Christ and that his sons are partnering with him in ministry. I could see the humble joy of answered prayer all over Dr. Blackaby's face. God has honored Dr. Henry Blackaby's children because he has faithfully walked with God. When I was driving back to my office, I thought to myself, you know, that really is the answer. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 37 is probably what Dr. Blackaby has held on to. Listen to these words. Mark the blameless man and behold the upright, for the man of peace will have a posterity. There's a secure inheritance and legacy when a man's character is forged by God. You see, our children need to see Christ in our lives and not just to hear the words about Jesus. They need to see the life of Christ demonstrated in our lives. Our preoccupation with demonstrating personal integrity and modeling righteousness will draw our kids to the God we love. There's a promise in this verse as it speaks to our posterity. The promise is that future generations will be blessed because of our faithfulness, not just our faithfulness to a list of do's and don'ts or to blueprints and creeds, but our faithfulness to a person, our faithfulness to the God of the universe. As they see our faithfulness in terms of our walk with God, our dynamic love affair with Jesus, they will catch that, follow that, and be blessed by it. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. The foundation for the next generation is being laid today. What are we going to give them? Experiences, rules, regulations, or a life committed to Jesus Christ? Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Go over to StacyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button. You can also find out more at AFR.net, OneNewsNow.com, and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome good friend of the show and of mine, Dr. Carol Swain, author, political analyst, former political science professor at Vanderbilt University, an all-around brilliant woman. Dr. Swain, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for your kind introduction. It's always great uh, to talk with you. Yeah, I'm excited about talking about your topic for today, which I know we're going to get to some current events, but let's let's first go into the campaign that you're running. You're looking to become the mayor of Nashville, which is a total boomtown right now, and it's the perfect opportunity for them to have some good, solid leadership. Well, I mean, we are in a a critical situation. We have a mayor who's trying to privatize the public asset. And as we speak, he has been trying to sneak through a proposal that would fail the public parking for the next 30 years. And we know that's been done in Chicago, New York City, Washington, D.C. The consumers have not fared so well under that arrangement. And so if this were to go through, for $34 million, he would fail the public parking for the next 30 years. He's also trying to fail an energy system. There's no shortage of bad ideas, and we maintain a deficit uh, budget in Nashville. 
and I would like to change all of that by running the city the way you would run a business and bringing in people who care about preserving what's distinctive about Nashville more than they care about enriching themselves. Okay, so you you laid out a lot there, and and some of what you just shared it makes absolutely no sense. And I'm I'm not even living in Nashville, but I have been there quite a bit. Um, we were there last year looking at Belmont uh, University for our oldest child. She didn't end up going there, but we had a good time in Nashville while we were there, uh, touring around. And I know statistically speaking, you're in a, a prime position to make these kinds of changes because you have such an enormous amount of population growth. Correct. Well. We, we have a lot of growth in Nashville, but we also uh, have a situation where we've not paid enough attention to our infrastructure and to the small businesses, and and we have rising crime. Just like Chicago, we have rising crime. So uh, I come on the scene at a time when a lot of people see the need for change, and I might add that Nashville is a city that has never had a Republican mayor. Now, they, they we have nonpartisan elections, but everyone knows, you know, who belongs to which political party. And so the city has never elected a uh, anyone that was an open Republican. And the last, um, not the current mayor, but the two previous mayors were from Boston and California. And so it's time for uh, to give Nashville some tender love and care. And I hope to do that and to assemble a team of people who will begin to, you know, like restore and rebuild ancient foundations because something about what made Nashville distinctive has gotten lost in the process as well as the average voter. And even worse than all of this stuff, uh, as we speak, there's an effort to implement ranked choice voting. And we know that that was... uh, passed in Maine in the last congressional election, and a Republican that was leading at one point that should have won actually lost, because under a ranked choice voting system, there could be five to ten people running, and voters are expected to be, they expected to rank each one as first, second, third, fourth, etc., according to their preferences. And the system is subject to manipulation because some candidates may vote for only one candidate. If you vote for one candidate, you know, your vote counts, you know, four or five, five times as much. And, uh, and it can end up in a situation where the least preferred candidate uh, walks off with whatever office is up for grabs. Mm. And that's something that we, we see. It's, it's one of the methods that was used by Democrats to flip California, which was a red state, deep red. Um, they used that and ballot harvesting to switch the, the entire state from Republican rule to Democratic rule. They know exactly what they're doing. And we have to, uh, you know, we have to become wiser about fighting back. But I have to confess that most uh, Nashvilleans were not paying attention, and I was among them. And I only learned Saturday that this is on the ballot for city council tomorrow for the last reading. And if it passes, it will be on the ballot August 1st. That's when my election is, August 1st. And it will affect future elections. 
it could turn the the mayorship and all the local elections into a ranked-choice system, and that's bad for voters and the democratic process. And this is all from, and, and you know, I, I don't mean this to sound horrible to other people who are moving in from other places because there's a lot of that going on. People are fleeing high tax states, but you got people who moved into Nashville from California. You said Boston, places where the taxes are way too high. They get there and the first thing they do is start changing Nashville into the place that they ran away from because that, that's exactly what they, that sounds like to me. They always do that and immigrants do the same thing. You know, like they escape a, a hellhole, a lot of them, and then they work really hard uh, at creating uh, what they left behind. And I say they do this because a lot of times they are fighting um, they are fighting against some of the things that relate to, like, you know, freedom of speech or or just law and order. Like, we all need law and order when it comes to anything that pertains to government and living in a society. And if you start being lax about one set of laws, it has a spillover effect. Mm-hmm. So I, I know there are a ton of um, other issues. Would you say that there are a, a top, you named off a few things. What would you say are the most important, obviously, to stop yeah. the, the, the removal of, of basically one citizen, one vote with this ranked voting thing? Well, the most important ele- uh, issues in this election are crime reduction, number one, because our crime rate has been increasing and we're short. Uh, a minimum of 120-some police officers, but for a city our size, with the crime rate that we have, we ought to have 300 more police officers on the street than we do. And right now they're so shorthanded that they can't cover all the zones or get to people in the time they matter. The police department is running a shortage as well as dispatchers. The dispatchers cannot respond to the 911 calls in a timely fashion. And so it's a critical situation, and it's amazing to me that the priorities that have influenced government have not been uh, priorities that focus on taking care of our first responders. Like when any of us have an emergency, whether it's a fire or we need a police officer, we want them to be there. Uh, They have neglected just first things. And as mayor, I will make law enforcement and crime reduction like a number one issue The other is traffic and transit. We have so much congestion, and there are some common-sense things that can be done. There are like 50 intersections already identified where we can put in turning lanes and better synchronize uh, lights, and I would encourage more work-at-home technology and and flex time. And then long-term, we have to have – we have to do more, but it involves working with uh, the state – government as well as the federal to do what needs to be done. Mm. Okay, so those are fantastic. Now, I want to I want to pivot over to um what we're seeing nationally with and and this kind of this it's uh, it's all the same animal. Um we're seeing the Democrats really digging in their heels when it comes to this impeachment effort. And and I know that once someone gets obsessed with something and they won't let it go, but we're not talking about one individual here. We're talking about you know, the leadership of the Democratic Party and then all of the the kind of foot soldiers, the ones who are the most activated, everyone's still beating the drum for impeachment, even though there's not a scintilla of evidence that would lend itself to impeaching the president right now. 
Oh, I know that. And it's, they do that instead of governing. And it's really about taking down the whole society. Uh, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it, I hope it backfires. It should backfire because the voters need solutions to health care reform, immigration. You know, we can go down the list of problems that American citizens have that they would like to have solutions. Our lawmakers are asleep at the wheel. And um, let the Democrats continue to pursue that strategy. I believe it will backfire. So when we talk about backfiring, we're already seeing that with a comment I played last segment by Amy Klobuchar. She's running for president. She said people aren't talking to her about Russian collusion or impeachment. They're talking to her about uh, the opioid epidemic and, you know, health care costs right. and things like that. Now, the president has said that he can't, well... I think he wanted to roll something out for health care for 2020 and Mitch McConnell smacked that down. He said, no, not, we're not doing anything before 2020. So what do you see as a possibility for the president? So, cause we don't want socialist single payer or anything like that, but I guess it, something has to be done from the government angle with health care. Do, do you have any like suggestions or ideas about how he could go about doing that? Well, I think the president should continue to focus on immigration reform and not just the wall reform and everything that's broken about immigration and um, and focus on that this term uh, and deal with the health care. For one thing, there are people working with his administration on health care, and the health care uh, is crisis is much worse than the average person knows. And, and so they should continue, you know, working on a plan, but I don't believe the president should dilute his resources by... Uh, by surrendering on immigration and jumping to a new issue. So I would like to see um, the president reminding the American voters repeatedly that he wants immigration reform, but, you know, that that there are people that are throwing roadblocks in his path. And then with the health care and some of those other issues, I think that uh, the policymakers, the, the Republicans, and Democrats that want reform, that they need to keep working. They need to develop a plan, a good plan. And uh, when the president is reelected, and I expect he will be reelected, then he should focus on that. But I don't believe he should give up on immigration, and he should continue to go before the public, as he's done in the past, and lay out his policy ideas. So uh, you mentioned immigration a couple of times, and it's one of the issues that I hit hard here on the program a lot. I mean, I... I, there's so much news about it. And one of the things that's most disturbing to me is that we don't have any help from Democrats who they, they are also impacted by illegal immigration. Their constituents have their children killed by illegal immigrants and drunk driving is up in the states where they have the sanctuary cities just like it is everywhere else. The New York Times editorial board just came out and said that the Democrats should give the president the money he needs for the wall and, and other uh, immigration proposals. Do you see other uh, editorial boards of newspapers kind of coming out of their little hobble holes? Because I, I believe they, they agree, but they're too afraid to say anything. Do you see anybody else joining in this? Well, I mean, it's a herd mentality. I think that once the New York Times comes out, it's, it's possible that some of the other liberal media will follow suit. And mm-hmm. so you might get uh, more activity in that way. And I see that I say the same thing about colleges and universities, like, People ask me all the time, um, is it hopeless? You know, is there any way that you can turn things around? And I tell them all it takes is one major university. 
um, you know, it could be Harvard, it could be uh, Stanford, it could be uh, I don't I don't think it'd be <laughs> Yale, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but one of those institutions to say that they value free speech and that they want uh, a diverse faculty, and if they set the trend of recruiting conservative professors. All the others will fall suit if, if one major university says they believe in free speech. So I think the same with immigration. If you get enough liberals, whether or not it's uh, uh, whether or not it's, it's the newspapers or commentators or just individuals that are former member members of Congress, that are Democrats to come out and say something needs to be done, the others will follow suit because they have a herd mentality. Mm. So. That's what I kind of felt like when I saw it this morning. The first thing I thought was how many of the others are sitting back and they want to write an editorial too. you know, they're scared. They have family members living near the, near the, these, these places where they're being overrun by illegal aliens coming in family members. The kids are swarming the schools um, They see the negative impacts, but they don't want to be the first one out. And so now you got the New York times. They're the first one out. But the, the, the true courage, the, besides the first person, it's the second person, the second group who joins in and says, you know, they're right. Because after that, it'll be an avalanche and they'll be co- climbing over each other trying to get there. Um, I, I pray that, that they're literally sitting in their offices and their boardrooms now discussing who's going to be the second one so they can be so they can say, you know, second one. Right. First person is the New York Times. Second person, anybody else, um, because I, we need work done on the border. And I do, I agree with you, Dr. Swain, it's the seminal issue uh, for Americans right now and for President Trump going into 2020. Right. And yeah, and I just hope that the president uh, uh, would just, uh, you know, just stay steady. Mm, I believe that the average Americans can see through what's taking place and they know he's not been treated fairly and he doesn't have to tweet to us about it. We, We can see and I don't think it's just the conservatives that can see it. I believe that um, he has far more support than the average person may think, or certainly uh, the Democratic activists may think. Mm. Dr. Swain, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we are so excited about your candidacy, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you, and anyone can go to my website, plainformayor.com, and see my issue positions of contributing. All right, fantastic. Talk to you again soon. We'll be back with more after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Does God open doors when we ask him to? For Lauren and me, God certainly did. Tony and I both had a strong desire to adopt. The adoption agency we were working with said there was a real shortage of African-American adoptive parents. If we were considering an African-American or biracial child, she had several to choose from immediately. This was an answer to prayer because it was something Lauren and I had asked God for. If God wanted us to adopt, then he would make it clear and open the door for our family. God does answer prayer and he wants the best for his children. So just go to him in prayer and tell him your needs. 
Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time, to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for His service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk, nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. Donald Trump's America. President Trump says the witch hunt is over, but the House continues to dig at the Russia probe with plans to go to the source. Special Counsel Robert Mueller has been invited to testify before the House Judiciary Committee. House Democrat David Cicilline on Fox News Sunday says he hopes nothing will derail that. We hope the uh, special counsel will appear. We think the American people have a right to hear directly from him. In a Sunday tweet, the president said Mueller should not testify because his report shows no collusion. The battle for democracy in Venezuela also continues as opposition leader Juan Guaido seeks to push Nicolas Maduro out of power. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, also on Fox, says... The United States wants all other countries out of this nation and allow the Venezuelan people to restore their own democracy. We're confident that we're going to achieve that. That includes Russia, but President Trump says Vladimir Putin has told him he's not interested in being involved in Venezuelan matters. Grinnell Scott, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. If we don't impeach him, he will say he has been vindicated. He will say the Democrats had an overwhelming majority in the House and they didn't take up impeachment. He will say that we had a constitutional duty to do it if it was there and we didn't. He will say that he has been vindicated. But here's what I say. We're confronting a constitutional crisis as I speak to you. As I look the people of America in the eye, I'm telling you, we have a constitutional crisis. When the chief executive officer, the president of the United States, refuses to comply with subpoenas and says he will order others to do so, this creates a constitutional crisis. So uh, the thing that creates the crisis is him not doing what you say or, co- or cooperating in his own destruction. Again, the thing that constitutes a constitutional crisis that requires impeachment is that the, the target of the impeachment proceedings refuses to cooperate. In other words, he doesn't want to be impeached. That's like saying, well, I don't know. It's kind of hard to quantify that into another analogy because It's stupidity on steroids. This doesn't make any sense for anyone who doesn't want to be impeached to cooperate. Now, I'm not talking about obeying lawful directions, but the report says no collusion. Also, 
a finding that they cannot indict on instruct uh, obstruction. So that 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 there it is. There it is. Done. Boom. That's all you got. So what I would hope is that Americans, as Dr. Carol Swain just said, which I thought that was a brilliant uh, analysis. She says Americans out there have seen that the president hasn't been treated very fairly. And honestly, I truly believe that if the Democrats go forward on their fool's errand of impeaching the president, they're going to end up not just reelecting him, but handing the House back to the Republicans. Now, I'm all about it. Come on. I'm, I'm always here for the Republicans to have an opportunity to make good on their campaign promises. And, you know, so can, can we talk for just a minute? Not to get all Joan Riversy on you, but can we just have a quick chat about uh, our good friends, the Republicans? Because you, you guys know um, I'm friends with some of the legislators. It's always so cool. You know, if, if they call me on my cell phone, it says blocked. And that's how I know it's like some, somebody calling from the Capitol Hill or, you know, the White House or someplace. And it doesn't happen a lot. But when it does, I'm always, you know, really keen to hear what they have to say. But there's been some real disappointments. Uh, Senator Blunt voting against the president on his immigration thing. Their inability to do anything about the Affordable Care Act back when they were in charge of all three parts of the government. The ridiculousness of knowing that a lot of the Republicans run on a strong immigration platform, but then when they get there, they get their Chamber of Commerce checks and they're just, they're not living that life. Yeah. I got, if I'm a, if I'm a, get to talking to you a little bit, you know, just, you know, just sharing a little bit more personally. I had to say these, a lot of these people have disappointed me. They haven't been worthy of the votes that they've received, the furor that they've received, the outsized social media attention that they've received. And they certainly are deserving of all that money they're getting paid and the power that they have. And the power I'm talking about is, you know, you enter into a space and everybody stops and they're, you know, gawking and, you get the most important person in the room come over to you and invite you. Can you come sit with us or can you? Some of these people don't deserve it. Okay. Uh, they're not doing what they said they were going to do. And some of them, I ain't going to say his name, but y'all know who I'm talking about. Ran on stuff, raised a billion dollars on stuff, and then went there and voted actually the opposite of what they said they were going to do. So I'm a, I'm a just, I'm gonna go ahead and say this, you know, and then, um, We'll move on to this Second Amendment bit here. Uh, as Cory Booker's out of control, Spartacus is back and he's he's lost his the rest of his mind. I'll just say this. I'll just, you know, these next few elections, I'm going to be laser focused on those that didn't do what they said they want. Uh, send me there. I'll do it. Send me. I want to go to Washington, D.C. They're going to be the ones when they reach out and say, hey, you know what? We're running again and we're hoping that I'm going to be like, you ain't running anywhere for me. I won't vote for a Democrat, but I also won't vote for you. Okay. It's that time. It's that time. You guys, it's time for us to start telling them by not giving them our votes. If you're not going to give me what you promised, because it's a transaction, then I'm not giving you my vote next time. And I don't care if you're a Republican and this is the most consequential election of our lifetime. I don't care if you, well, if, we, if you don't vote for the Republicans this time, the entire country is going to be lost. Well, the entire country is going to be lost if we're only relying on politics anyway. The fact is, we need to send some legislate, legislators to Washington, D.C. 
who know the power of getting on their knees before God and repenting for this nation and asking for that supernatural courage that enables you to walk into a room full of Democrats, knowing they want to eat you for lunch and still voting the way that you promised the voters back at home you would vote. We need a couple of legislators, and by a couple, I mean everybody who has an R behind their name, that if they're going to be at church on Sunday shaking your hand after the service, and if they're going to be quoting scripture on the stump at their campaign events, that when they get there, they're not going to forget that scripture. Instead, they're going to continue to read it and eat it and memorize it and make sure that it's in them so that what comes out is godly. Yes, I know they're not, they're not pastors. But they are still responsible for their actions. And when people don't do their jobs, other people die. And if they're going to be continuing running on these platforms, I mean, it gets positively religious up in the joint at some of these campaign rallies and these places where we're all getting together and we're clapping and we're excited. And I'm tired of that empty exercise because when they get there, they don't remember who we are. They don't remember the promises they've made and they don't deliver. If they were going to deliver, they would have shut that border down. The president wouldn't have had to hear from Mitch McConnell that it's not a good idea to close the southern border. You know, what's not a good idea coming into America illegally. That's not a good idea. And if your country relies on our country for jobs and industry and you want us American avocado eaters to buy all of your avocados, then you keep the caravans to the south of your border. You don't help them come through. And so it is time for us to say, you know what? This may be the most consequential election of our lifetime, but I serve a consequential God. And instead of bowing to you and allowing you to have my vote, when I know you ain't going to do anything you've promised, I'm going to go ahead and bow my knees and my head to my father in heaven. I'm going to say, Lord, I don't have anybody good here to vote for. So I'm going to vote for you. I'm going to crack my word open. I'm going to pray some scripture over this nation. And we're going to get together and try to find somebody good to run next time. But if it has to be the enemy that takes this seat, then let him have this hill so we can take the whole war. It's not about winning every hill. It's about winning the war. And the war is for this culture and it's for literally the very land that you're walking on, the services that you're using, the roads you're driving on, the schools your kids go to. And until we decide that we're not going to give people who are so dishonest, they'll literally tell you to your face, spittle flying out of their, their mouth, going onto your cheeks, that they are so ready to take on Washington, D.C. And they want to help drain the swamp. And when they get there, it's going to be different. And then the next time you see them, they're being driven around town by some volunteer. They have staffers all up in the car with them. Everybody's got two phones, you know, what personal phone and your secure phone. And they're wearing like, you know, $5,000 worth of clothes. And they've stopped pumping their own gas. And they haven't been to the grocery store for themselves in a while because now they're D.C. It's time for somebody to go to Washington, D.C. who can't be bought and sold, who remembers the faces of those voters they made the promises to and put their spittle on so they can get something done for what they promised because I'm never looking for them to do anything actually extraordinary I don't expect legislators to be wildly creative or brilliant they're politicians but I do expect if I'm voting for you that you would remember that I expect if I live in your district and I reach out to you 
that you would return my call. It's not too much to ask. Yeah, I know you got a lot of people to call. I don't care what you got. You have 20 staffers. Somebody should pick up the phone and call me back. Not because I'm Stacy on the right or I'm special, but because I voted for you. I voted for you. But let me amend that. That was last time. This time, if you haven't returned my phone calls, if you haven't done the things you promised on the campaign stump, and yes, I remember it, then I'm not voting for you next time. And if you lose and we don't have the house and we don't. So God is in control. There's one seat we don't have to worry about losing, and that's the throne in heaven, which is occupied by the one almighty Alpha and Omega beginning and end. He is in charge. And so I'm not going to waste my time voting for people who won't do what they've promised me. If I can just I can pray to God and vote the rest of the ticket. I can vote for anybody who's who is doing their job and let him deal with the rest. So, sure. Still a Republican over here. You know what I'm saying? I'm not changing parties, but I am telling you that if you are there now and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you had better figure something out quick because I don't just mean I'm not voting for you. I mean, everybody I know that I can tell the same thing I just said right here, right now, I'm going to tell them too. If I can take my little matchstick and light another candle that can light another candle, will be the blaze that sends you back home. And then the next time I see you, you will be buying your own groceries. You will be at the gas station pumping your own gas because you'll be back in the land of the real and the living like me. We'll be pumping our gas together because you don't belong in D.C. You don't belong there. Now, speaking of people who don't belong, here's another one. It's Cory Booker. He says when he becomes president, he's going to outlaw all the mean bad guns that are like weapons of war. And if people don't give up their guns, well, he doesn't want to say it out loud that he'll put you in jail. But I kind of think Cory Booker, Spartacus of America, wants to put people like me in jail. And I'm telling you, he better come deep. If he's planning on putting me in jail over the Second Amendment, he better come deep. Because I'm not going. Here he is. It's number three. Well, first of all, when I was mayor of the city of Newark, again, I have a record on dealing with gun violence. We, <laughs> we did a lot of uh, gun buybacks and even other creative ideas that I think uh, we should have uh, uh, when I'm president of the United States. The critical thing is I think most Americans uh, agree that these weapons of war uh, should not be war. on our streets. But, Again, but would, some... you, would you prosecute people? Do you support the government buying them back? And if not, potentially people could go to jail if they don't want to sell them back. Yes or no? Uh, again, we should have a you law that bans these weapons, and we should have a reasonable period in which people can turn in these weapons. Ban it. Uh, right but now, we have a nation that allows, in streets and communities like mine, these weapons that should not exist. <laughs> streets and communities like his. Cory Booker's rich, y'all, okay? He's not as rich as, say, a Nancy Pelosi. He, you know, he's not Maxine Waters rich, but he's rich. He's like, he has way more money than you or I do, right? He's, he is not at Walmart like you and I are, buying our bins, sending our kids off to college. That man is not working a spreadsheet and adding up scholarships and, you know, your grandparents are putting in this and daddy and I are putting in that and this is how we're going to get college paid for. He's not doing that. Not because he's not a father, which he isn't but because he doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff because he's not regular like we are. He's not budgeting. He's not clipping coupons. He's not downloading scholarship apps. He is not like us. So when he says in my neighborhoods, what is he talking about? He has armed security. And guess what those armed security guards carry? What Cory Booker likes to call 
weapons of war. Wouldn't it be great if somebody made like a video of all of these different kinds of guns and then every so often the little voice would come on and it would sound like weapons of war. Yeah, he's talking about regular firearms that people are using every day to defend themselves from perps, criminals, gang members, drug dealers. This man acts like the criminals are sitting up and they're at home and they're, you know, cleaning their guns and listening to, you know, the same kind of music Cory Booker listens to. And and they're like, oh, you know what? It would be great if somebody would just, you know, do a weapons buyback. You should ask Corey if, if that interviewer was worth her salt, she would have asked Cory Booker, hey, you know what? When you did these gun buybacks, what kind of guns did you get? And he would have said the same kind of guns they always get, which is the old antiquated unfireable, you know, guns that have malfunctioned and the people are too lazy to go get them fixed. And so they turn them in at the gun buyback and then they go buy another gun either on the streets if they're criminals or they go through the lawful process like you and I go through. But there is no, oh, we're going to buy the guns back. And unless it's threat of prison, like I told you about in Venezuela, and, and they never get them all. In Australia, which the liberals love to quote about Australia and their gun buyback program, the Australians didn't get all the guns. They estimate that they got between 40 and 50 percent of the guns. The rest of the guns are still out there and it's they have the new laws, but the guns are still out there. And if he thinks he's Cory Booker, he may be Spartacus, but he ain't Spartacus enough to get 400 to 600 million firearms off of people like me, because if he was, he would already done it. He's not getting any guns. He can get elected to the presidency, which I think is like the slimmest of slimmest of slimmest of chances. But gun owners don't speak in Latin. I think it's Latin, Molon Lab. We don't speak that because we like speaking foreign languages. I don't speak any other languages. I speak just a teensiest little bit of Deutsch, and, and it's, it's only just to get directions. No, it's because he ain't getting no guns. All right, you're leaving us now. God bless you from the heartland. If you're sticking around, onenewsnow.com, news and information up next. God bless. God bless.